Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, and I fight bad guys in a Phantom of the Opera t-shirt. And I'm Ned Baker, and I may have greatly overestimated my importance to this franchise. <laughs> that was a good Korg. Thank you. I'm glad at least you weren't like, what is that? No, I'm with you. I'm always picking <laughs> okay, up on cool. Korg. So the way this podcast normally works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. Not today, though. Not today at all, my friend. We're mixing it up. We are we are interrupting our Antonio Banderas series for some breaking news, which is that the first actor that we ever covered, my beloved Christian Bale, he's out starring in a big new buzzy Marvel movie. And Ned and I, we love the Marvel movies. Somehow we've never covered one yet. And we thought we've got to do a special bonus episode about Thor Love and Thunder. So here we are. Because Christian Bale has joined the MCU. Although did you hear his response to that? That he just joined because his kids wanted him to? No, he said, I haven't joined shit. I don't know what that is. (laughs) I fucking love Christian Bale. Here's what has brought me so much joy in the past couple years is people Mm -hmm. realizing that Christian Bale is funny. He got this reputation as such a serious, like, scary method actor that I think actually people... Just he would say things that were funny and people wouldn't even pick up on it. Like when he referred to his children during as in acceptance speech as burrito and banana. And there had to be think pieces that were like, are his children really named burrito and banana? And I was like, you guys, he's kidding. Or when he he won whatever a Golden Globe for playing Dick Cheney and he thanked Satan for inspiring his performance. Christian Bale is funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely funny. Although not so much in this movie. Uh, yeah, they didn't, it sounded like maybe they wanted to unleash the funny from Christian Bale a little more and then pulled back. At least I've heard some reference to that, which is a shame. But at least he's in a comedy, which I think he knows, insofar as he's being serious in a comedy, I think he knows what he's doing. Yes, and he's also very scary. I think Gore is the scariest villain that the MCU has ever done. I think so. He looks freaky as hell. Christian Bale has this like dead-eyed intensity. Not empty, but like yeah, he's 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 freaky. The design is great. The little scene where he's like, "He's little Octi. Do you like him, children? Now he's dead." Yeah. God, yeah. You know he Did you ever see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No. The villain of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the the star of my childhood nightmares is this sort of like fairy tale twist on a gestapo inspired figure called the child catcher who's he like he has this like candy wagon he says sweets today children and all free and then he like pulls this lever and like traps the kid in this big cage and uh i just got some real child catcher vibes from gore the god butcher yeah i could definitely see that it's like maybe child catcher meets gollum Mm -hmm. a little bit i do like when thor's like you're all a team team kids in a cage (laughs) So this is fun, Ned. You, you back in the day, you were my guide to the MCU. I think I watched the first Thor for the very first time with you and we did a marathon with friend and former guest Alejandro Tay, where we marathoned like phase one and two, maybe. 
I was going to say, was that first viewing of Thor immediately after a viewing yeah. of uh, Captain America and immediately before a viewing of... Or no, let's see. It would have gone... I think it's the Iron first Man two, two Iron Man. Thor, it's, no, it's Captain Iron America, Man, Incredible, Incredible Hulk, Hulk, Iron Man, Man two, 2, then Thor. Thor. Then Captain then America, Captain then, America Avengers. then Avengers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so on and so, so forth. So I had seen like a handful the... of those, but I think I hadn't seen Thor mm-hmm. at that point. I think of you as kind of a Thor fan. Uh, I do. I love the Thor franchise. I'm. I want to. I want to dig into that. But first, I want to ask you because I don't yeah. actually know this. What is your relationship like to the MCU these days? Are you like up? Are you up on all the the movies and stuff? You know, it kind of took the pandemic and, in a weird way, Disney Plus to put the first puncture holes in my commitment to MCU completionism. I think. I mean, it also, you know, those are external factors. It also just has to do with my evolving relationship to the quality of these films, which started, I think the first time I started to like really like question the faith was like around Guardians of the Galaxy, which everybody was like, here comes this thing that is completely, yeah, everybody loved it. Everybody said it's completely changed the game. I was like, actually, I think it played the game very much by its own rules except for like a few changes in the, you know, dialogue quippy style. Uh, and now that I'm looking at it, the rules of the game are really quite uh, quite formulaic and quite samey. So I have a weird relationship with the MCU where like, I don't know, I still feel in many ways kind of devoted to it. I still love it. I mean, from the very beginning, it was adapting these characters whom I have loved since childhood, you know, back when like, God, I'm going to sound like such a freaking square. But like, since like loving a superhero, loving superheroes, like knowing who the Hulk and Iron Man were was sort of like a weird nerdy thing, which is hard to remember now. Gosh, that really wasn't a good answer to your question. I thought you were going to list off the movies that you'd seen recently or not, but you went very philosophical and I appreciate it. (laughs) I was trying to uh, to say, I think what I'm trying to express is I still love the MCU, but I criticize it heavily. And I think the answer to the actual question you were, <laughs> you were asking is, I haven't watched Doctor Strange yet. <laughs> I think I've watched everything else. I haven't watched, uh, sorry, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse yeah. of Madness yet. I've seen every other feature. I've seen most of the TV shows. Yeah. Cool. That's where I'm cool. at. Cool. We recorded a po- in a podcast about the Eternals with our friends Cinematic Universe. If you want to oh, hear yeah. Ned and I discussing discussing one of the cornerstones of this weird phase four period mm-hmm. that we're in. I am up to date with everything Marvel. Everything. There's everything? Well, okay, I didn't watch What If. Oh, what if is cool. Because I, like it. I struggle sometimes with animation. Animated TV shows, yeah. Oh man. Well, I think that, that for me, there it did feel like Endgame was such a lovely button on this whatever decade of superhero stuff I'd invested in that I do feel mm-hmm. a different emotional pull to Phase 4, I would say, although I do think there's huge highlights. I love Shang-Chi. That was like a real top tier for me. Some of the TV shows have been cool, even if none have quite lived up to their potential. But mm-hmm. I agree with kind of what you're saying, that there's a little bit of, I'm feeling a little more distance from it than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. what is your relationship to the Thor franchise in particular? That that divisive element of the MCU. I 
am not really a fan. Uh, and I feel bad because I feel like you have made many of the strongest arguments for Thor. I'll, I mean, here's here's what I'll say. I haven't re-ranked, I haven't sat down to do something that I actually really like doing and should probably do soon and maybe should have done before today, which is to just look at all the movies and rank them based on how I feel right now. Last time I did it, I put Thor and Thor the Dark World really close to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I put Ragnarok somewhere below the middle, Uh, somewhere around the middle, I think. I don't love those first movies. I think the first one in particular i just remember feeling was kind of lame i don't know i just didn't like i didn't like the showdown in a new mexico town uh i thought the stakes were kind of low i felt the humor was kind of off yeah i'm not a huge fan of the thor franchise but i am a huge fan of the characters that it has given us Mm -hmm. i'm a really big fan of the thor character And I like what he does in the franchise. Like, Thor is, in a weird way, like, kind of one of my favorite parts of the Avengers. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy to me. He's probably my least favorite part of the Avengers movies. Well, maybe Infinity War and Endgame. I think he's good. I think he's really bad in the first two Avengers movies. No! I love him in the first Avengers movie. And I think, because for me, the first Avengers movie was this insane, like... This is the most I think we've ever genuinely disagreed. I'm, like, shocked that you just said that. No, I just think the first Avengers movie to me constituted like there is no way. Again, this feels antiquated and naive now, but looking back, it was like there's no way you can take different movies by different directors and then just mash them into one movie. There's no way you'll be able to make the tones work. And I'll say Joss Whedon, problematic dude as he is, did a good job of that. And... Thor's tone, I thought, was the hardest to integrate, and it it sells on the strength of Chris Hemsworth's performance. And I think Loki's great. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Loki's good. That's fascinating. I think Josh Whedon has... I love the first Avengers movie. That's still my first, Mm -hmm. my top MCU movie. It's so good. I think Josh Whedon has no idea how to write Thor. I actually low-key think he doesn't know how to write Captain America either, but the movie almost gets away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Maybe it's just the strength of the performances then. Maybe yeah. that's really all I'm talking about. I mean, there have been so many. I actually, so I reviewed Thor Love and Thunder and I opened my review with some version of this idea, but there have been, like, it almost feels like we've had a multiverse of Thors because there have been, I think, mm-hmm. more interpretations of that character than any but everyone else has felt more consistent you have the the first two thors that i think you are not alone in feeling like are weaker elements of the Mm -hmm. marvel canon i I think i'm alone in this zoom room and thinking (laughs) yeah you are i really like the first two thor movies uh people generally just if you bring up the world the word dark world they just I don't know. I'm curious to hear how many people that say they hate Dark World, how recently they've watched it, because I Mm -hmm. personally find it to be an incredibly watchable movie. I think the version of Loki that we all mentally know and love actually comes from that movie more than anything else. I have it Mm -hmm. ranked like seventh on my Marvel list. I just find it so weird and watchable. And I, I really like the fish out of water comedy in the first two Thor movies. I don't think Thor is so great in the first two Avengers movies. And then 
you get to Ragnarok, which I think for most people, like I think a lot of people have Ragnarok in their top five, if not their top three favorite Marvel movies. It's like a huge fan favorite. You have Taika Waititi coming in, like completely rebooting the Thor character, essentially. And I honestly really struggle with that movie because it's just, I think if you didn't like the Thor that came before, then it's so enjoyable to watch something new done with the character. But for someone like me who did like the Thor that came before, I just like don't know what to do with that. It's so different. And there's there's elements about it I really like. I can, there are lots of parts of it that make me laugh. I can appreciate a lot of things about it, but it's just hard for me to, it just feels like it's coming in from a whole other universe and I can't, I can't rectify it with my original Thors. I have mixed feelings about this because I think that recently, and towards the beginning of this film, I was thinking to myself, like, they basically, I mean, yeah, they basically, like, swapped up the game. They said, with the same actor in the same role, we're going to completely change the kind of game we're playing here. We're going to completely change what we're doing with this project and this world. And I kind of, like, I think I used to be a little bit more continuity interested, and I, I used to think, like, that's a bad thing to do to a franchise. And now... I'm like, you know what? If you want to completely change the thing, like if they want to make a Robert Pattinson Batman next that's like way lighter, that's fine with me. Like it doesn't, I don't think these things undo what's done before. My criticisms of Ragnarok and of Love and Thunder have to do with what they're choosing to do and how much I think, well, actually, it's not just that. It's that, They're not only changing the game, they're changing the game by, like, making fun of what they've done Mm -hmm. before. Yeah. I think of this, like, there was this Hardy's Jr. ad where they had this, like, character, or Hardy's slash Carl's Jr. They had this character of Carl Sr. come in and be like, my stupid son has been running the company and look at these stupid sexist ads with Paris Hilton he published. And it's like, it's so clever and such a like smart swerve. But I'm also like, but you are Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. This was you who did the thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I think that I am not so impressed in the Taika Thors with the ways that they, like, I just don't think it's so hard to be like, have someone be like, we will take the Bifrost Bridge. And someone's like, why does he always say it in that way? And someone else is like, I don't know. It's just this thing he does. And yeah. someone else is like, as guardians, they're so serious. Like, that's that stuff is really easy to do. And I think they pick that low-hanging fruit kind of a lot in these movies. Yeah. And not totally dissimilar from even what some of the earlier movies were doing. Just bigger with it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So Okay. So we haven't talked about this at all. Yeah. But what did you think of Love and Thunder? How does that how does that fit into the Thor? How do you compare it to Ragnarok? Mixed bag. Mixed bag for me. What's weird about it is that my gripe with Ragnarok, really my biggest gripes with it was not that they did these goofy jokes with Thor. It was that they also had a contractual obligation MCU plot going on with mm-hmm. Hela essentially entirely divorced from the Thor plot through 70% of the movie. And also like just kind of without nearly as much fun to it. And then the final act of the movie is Thor going over to where the 
the contractual obligation MCU plot is and having a really forgettable climax, in my opinion. And I think that um, that whole other plot is predicated on the strength of the character, Hela, where I think a lot of people have mistaken a lot of great energy from Kate Blanchett for actually a good character. Mm-hmm. I think she's a tremendously... There's like nothing to that character yeah. at all. I think Kate Blanchett is one of our capital F finest actors, but I don't think that's a good character at all. And in this one, my gripe has kind of switched around where I am enjoying more the sort of MCU action intrigue plot Mm -hmm. because I just think there's a lot more going on with gore and the sort of like sincere stuff is better. I just think that the jokes are less funny this time around. Yeah. And it's so clear that the jokes are driving the the go the, the jokes are pulling the uh the, the ship. I feel like you just had a yeah a Freudian slip of trying to yeah, say there was the something goats. about the goats there. Yeah. I agree that this is not as funny as Ragnarok. Yeah. I think a lot of the humor doesn't fully land. But mm-hmm. that being said I actually think I really like a lot about this movie. I think I was mm. I was worried this was going to feel like a Ragnarok part two, but I think it's actually much more earnestly trying to weave in all of these versions of Thor we have had over the years and mm-hmm. like synthesize it into one thing that actually makes sense. And yeah. to do that in what I like, honestly, I think this movie is quite dark. Mm-hmm. Should we say off the? Should we just say that we'll be spoiling stuff? Yes, let's just. Yeah, I don't think we need to do a spoiler-free version. Uh, yeah, this so will be the spoiler-filled. <laughs> turn us chat off if of you haven't Thor. seen it. We'll probably be spoiling other stuff in the MCU too. So get ready. Um, yeah, I just find I found this to be so so like heavy in a way I wasn't expecting, but that I mm-hmm. really ended up appreciating, and I think got back to some of the stuff that I enjoyed the most about the first two movies while still weaving in the Taika energy of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a movie that I, like I started writing my review and I was at in like a B minus territory. And then as I was writing and thinking about it, I, I, I mean, I only worked up to a B, but I was still, I was like, Oh, I think I, I think I appreciated this even more having sat with it a little bit than I did when I was Mm -hmm. first watching it. Yeah. It would be difficult again for me to like give any kind of ranking of the four, I think, just because my feelings of Ragnarok are so hard to parse. And I feel like Thor, Dark World has just become something else to me that is yeah. almost unfair to rank it. But I. It's a, it's a discussion of a discussion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I really appreciate. I just appreciate a lot about Love and Thunder. And I appreciate that it feels like Taika was trying. If he, if he got a little bit stuck in the same shtick he was doing. He also was trying to do something drastically different, and I mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that its goals are a little bit more interesting than Ragnarok's goals, which really just seemed to be like, what if we did a a Thor that was very much like, you know, X sense of humor. Yeah, you know, there's and this, go ahead. like this this one's interest in I think like putting romance front and center is something that I'm in favor of. And, uh, and yeah, I think they just like, I really think of Hela as being like, well, MCU movie needs a villain. And mm-hmm. I think that what they're doing with Gore the God Butcher and the whole God campaign in this just has more, it's actually like tied in and engaged with more. Um, yeah, as well as like the discussion of the mythologizing of Thor 
is kind of fun in here too. I, I've heard people say that they think that Ragnarok is the sort of heavier or more nuanced movie and that Love and Thunder feels like a little bit of a throwaway romp, which is interesting because I feel the opposite, although I see where they're coming from because Ragnarok does do something similar where it is about like imperialism and and Hela's connection to Asgard's dark past and the way Odin hid that away. And it does have those heavier themes. It literally ends with the entire planet of Asgard exploding. Like when I say it on paper, it feels like it is attempting to mix the serious and the comedy. But I think with Love and Thunder, the combo of Jane's cancer and how seriously the movie took that, which was a surprise to me, with how seriously it took gore's like grief and vengeance and mm-hmm. how much it paralleled the two the gore jane like elements yeah. i found that to be so serious and dark and weighty and that was more interesting mixed in the comedy with me than what ragnarok did yeah and i think i'd also say those themes you mentioned in ragnarok like how interested did it genuinely seem in those themes like hella has a great speech about like Yeah, like Asgard is a colonialist power. But like, I don't know that I really think that movie is trying to deep dive into like what that means. Yeah. I think it's just kind of like there. Jokes first. And uh, yeah, this one I think is a little bit more interested in those things. I think that my sense of annoyance with this one is just like, it's just based on me just thinking the jokes were like not that funny. Yeah, I agree with that. I could not shake a tweet that I saw before I watched the movie from our friend Zoe Maltby. Did you see this tweet? Do you know what I'm referring to? I do not. Thor Love and Thunder, a social experiment enforcing an A-list cast to use all their first takes. <laughs> and having that in your head going mm. into this movie, it is crazy. The amount of times you see something and you're like, well, that was just like a first take ad lib. Like, why is that? Why did that make it into the movie? Like, that was very strong to me. There's a there's kind of like a an ad-libbed flashback during the like Thor Jane breakup memory where Natalie Portman is saying, "I have to stay up all night to go through all this data." It's like it was so clear that the the prompt had been like argue about how he's always saving the world and she's always doing science. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be like in the background, but I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I think the the curtain was just parted too much there. And I felt like there were a lot of those moments. It is funny. In general, I love that montage, the like relationship slash breakup montage. But I I agree during that one little line, I was like, oh, Taika told them the dialogue would not be heard in this scene. Like he told them we're going to just put this in montage, just say whatever you want, because it was not an interesting fight. Yes. Um, uh, Similar. Yes, I did then write... uh, ABBA with a little heart next to it in my notes because that montage was set to ABBA which is a choice that I am always in favor of Um, but so that was maybe the most like pronounced that was the only one that I had to like write down but I feel that if you watch this movie and you have that in your head you're just gonna keep seeing it and saying like that was like that was just uh, that was just like lazy first draft work I do think a lot of this movie, I do think Taika relies on a heavy improv style. And I think in this movie in particular, they've talked about that really being a cornerstone of it. And I think you are Mm. sort of starting to see the downsides of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think, I mean, honestly, 
I think, too, this kind of feels like a movie that was made during the pandemic. You know what I mean? Which is Uh something I increasingly feel about a lot of the stuff I watch where I'm like, there are just moments where it feels like they had to divide the cast in a certain way, maybe because people were in filming bubbles or they didn't have as much time as they normally would or the day was getting away from them. I just wonder how much that stuff is affecting sort of all of the big entertainment that's being produced today. Yeah, well, we did have uh, the persistent uh, thorn in your side, Dr. Eric Selvig, appearing via Zoom call (laughs) in one moment. But he's there. He's there. Selvig forever. central Selvig. But he's been bumped to be replaced by Korg. Taika has said there will now be a weirdly central character, and it will be the character that I play. And he will be in every scene. Are you not a Korg fan? Not anymore. Wow. I'm sick of his ass. Oh, my God. anti-Korg take. I tend to like Korg. Korg was probably my favorite part of Ragnarok. Korg was great in Ragnarok because it was like a cameo appearance. He was in like three scenes. too much Korg. So much freaking Korg. Oh, my (laughs) God. The scene where Korg gets shot with a bolt of lightning. Yeah. And then there's this huge, in my opinion, unearned, like, Thor is so broken up over the death of Korg scene, which reminds me of, okay, Get ready. Here come spoilers for, I think, the seventh Fast and Furious movie and the sixth Mission Impossible movie, where the deaths of uh, Kurt Russell and Alec Baldwin, respectively, get these, like, prolonged mourning scenes that I'm like, I just don't care about this character. You have overestimated my sadness. And this was happening again, but I was at least comforted by being like, well, at least he'll be gone from the movie because he's been here too much. And then he's like, no, I'm I'm still still alive. And oh my god, yeah. And then they're like... There's this great love scene on the bow of the ship mm-hmm. with uh, with Jane your central Thor. characters, Jane and Thor, which is like bookended on both sides by extended bits of Korg just like improvising with T- Tessa Thompson. And I'm like, seriously, Korg, get the fuck out of the movie. See, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, was this some sort of pandemic? We're putting Natalie and Chris in one bubble and Taika and Tessa in another and filming these scenes. I don't, know. I don't know what the reason was, but it resulted in too much cork. Or was that we want to we want to put anything that relates to being gay in a real quick little side scene that we can cut out when we're putting it in markets that are not friendly to that? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I always that is an that interesting too. that is an interesting element of this movie that we should get into. But I feel like I cut you off with something. No, I think I was just going to dive into a little more of the the plot itself because I actually so I was nervous going into this because I had been so mixed on Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. But this, the way this movie starts, I was like, oh, this is very different. Like, it starts with Christian Bale and his little daughter wandering the desert, literally, you know, dying of dehydration. The daughter actively dies into his, in his arms. Mm -hmm. He goes to meet his God, still remains faithful to his God, even upon this horrible, like, thing he's experienced. And then his god's basically like, fuck you, I don't care about you. And then he murders his god. (laughs) And I was sitting there like, this feels insane to me. This is is like some His Dark Materials, really gritty, you know, like, concepts. Like, I just find the idea of you are the super devout person who has just really dedicated your entire life to that. And then you go and murder your god. I find that to be such a such a dark like idea to kick off this movie with i just loved it i love yeah. that op- that cold open so much i mean christian bale is he's a world-class actor he does so good through that he brings the like 
that like crushing loss there. But he doesn't overplay it either. He doesn't overplay it. It's like you just you just learn like everything you need to know about this mm-hmm. guy and whatever his civilization is and like it just all comes clear. And that's a scene where like the the comedy which is very dark comedy is really working for me. It's restrained. It's like he goes in, he's heartbroken and then like you get this little like subversion of like the god is not only like not only doesn't care not only isn't like i don't know like ethereal and worldly but it's clearly just like your average run-of-the-mill self-obsessed asshole Mm -hmm. and you're like starting to be like oh this is gonna be bad for the guy who just lost his daughter and like worships this god and then the god is like we were just celebrating that we've like We've uh, defeated this person with their horrible necro sword that can kill gods. And I'm just like, yes, this is great. <laughs> this is great. This is extremely funny to me. This like tossed off line of like, oh, and there's the horrible weapon that can kill gods. This is such a great like shorthanding to like watch this figure in. It has emotional weight, but it is like working efficiently. And yeah, he says, this is my vow. All gods will die. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, great. I want to see this guy like tear through the pantheon. It's interesting. A lot of people have complained that there is not enough time with gore in this movie, which I think probably is true if you count the minutes. But I truly found Christian Bale's performance so affecting that I never felt like, oh, I don't understand. In the way that I think with Hela, I did feel like I need more time to understand who this person is. With Mm -hmm. gore, I was like, yeah, it would have been cool to spend more time with him. But I'm so locked into everything Christian Bale is doing that I don't like need that time to understand the emotional stakes here yeah i mean he's like he's so evocative as i was as we were saying earlier like the design and performance on him are so strong that i think like you just know exactly what's going on with him i do think if i have a gripe about that character it is the dark supervillain equivalent of the same thing that i complained about with the comedy which is just like it's just like letting someone like improvise without i don't think that there's quite enough uh, uh, like a strong enough directorial hand so that there are moments where he does go very like cackling goblin mm-hmm. and moments where he is a little more like haunted zealot and particularly the more like cackling gobliny moments reminded me. Okay, here's spoilers for season one of Loki. Talk about like take one stuff, what they had the excellent Jonathan Majors doing in the final mm-hmm. episode of that show where it was just like, you know, be like weird and creepy. Interesting. That worked for me. No! You're on the side of cinematic. The cinematic universe boys all hated that too. I was into it. I liked having that character come in, but in terms of how that performance was directed, I thought it was lazily directed. Mm. And that was a very extreme version. I think you have a slight version of that going on with Gore the God Butcher in some of his scenes. I think the movie's doing this thing that Marvel is increasingly doing. And when you see the new Doctor Strange, you'll see it there too, where it is a man, it is a person who has a cause. But then they also pick up a weapon or a book that is like, quote unquote, corrupting them. And then the movie does not pick a lane of how much of this is Gore the human seeking vengeance, how much of this is the Necrosword sort of, you know, fueling into him and fueling that vengeance. And it it just kind of lets that all be very messy in a way that I think is is ultimately weakens the character because... The, the whole ending of the movie, the whole ending of like what Gore wants, I actually do find quite messy. This is the inhibitor chip from Spider-Man 2. It's the same yeah. shit all over yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. And talk about things that a cinematic universe has talked about. This idea of like, no, the arms took him over. It's always, they do it, I think, when they feel, it's like this fear that like, 
if a person is fully choosing this, they won't have enough sympathy to be interesting. Yeah. Completely disagree. Anytime a person's agency is removed because like an, a magical object is like making them do it. Boring. Thumbs down. Right. Hate it. Don't do it. Stop doing it. Just let Gore be angry and vengeful. Well, what's especially confusing, if if I could just jump right to the end of the movie now, it's like at the yeah, end when Thor's the one that's like, you should bring your daughter back instead of killing all the gods. I'm like, mm-hmm. why would that not have been his mission to begin with? Like, it's very confusing to me the way Thor brings that up. And then it's like, what will Gord choose? And I, and I don't quite understand why, if it was it that that had not occurred to him as a possibility. Like that felt very, they want it to be this moment of like, will Gore choose good or evil? But there's really been nothing that would convince me other than this necrosword corruption, why he would ever pick the gods over his daughter. Cause he's introduced where the only thing he cares about is the daughter, you know, that, that works for me because I buy into this idea of they became so consumed with revenge that they lost sight of the thing they were doing it for in the first place. So I could see, like, he's so deep into his quest, which I also don't know, like, how long he's been doing this. Mm -hmm. Is it, like, a recent thing? But he got so obsessed with his quest that when he learned about, you know, a magical thing that grants wishes, the only thing he could see was how to use it to complete his revenge, Mm -hmm. not to bring back his daughter. So, So I don't know. So maybe we do need more time with Gort to clarify (laughs) the concerns that I had. I liked in the ending... I've I've gotten on this soapbox before that I wish the superheroes like rehabbed their villains instead mm-hmm. of killing them a lot more because that's such a that's such a part of comics. I think like it's a huge part of the nineties Batman show that I'm always trying to find ways to talk about. The movies are usually much more about like, how about I throw him into the reactor and he'll explode, you know? And so I like movies where the climax is about the hero convincing the villain to do the right thing. It's an unexpectedly quiet ending. I kept there were a couple action scenes in this where I was like, "Is this the final fight?" Like I was really struggling to get on the pacing wavelength. Mm-hmm. But then when we finally got to the ultimately quite quiet ending in the sort of eternity world Space. that looked so much like the world that you go to when you snap the Infinity Stones, <laughs> I was like, "They were just like pull up that graphic. We'll just reuse that again." It made me think of the bagel from uh, Everything Everywhere. Oh yeah, that too. But yeah. Um, but the, how quiet that ending was, where it's just Gore and his daughter on one side and Thor and Jane on the other. I quite liked that element of it. Also, I very rarely, for as much as I like Marvel movies, they very rarely like emotionally move me. Like mm-hmm. really probably only two to three times have I felt genuinely choked up by a Marvel movie. Did it happen? Yeah. And I don't know cool. if this is just my strange lifelong love for Christian Bale kicking in. But there was something about him just like dying, but sort of like comforting his daughter that I found so deeply moving coupled with Mm -hmm. the, you know, Thor and Jane and her last moments. Yeah. This is like, it's like this, the end of the first Captain America and the end of guardians Two. Like those are probably my three most emotional MCU moments. Okay. So to circle down, (laughs) we've discussed the end of the movie. (laughs) To circle back around. So after we have this appreciably dark opening of Christian Bale's gore, then we get to the stuff that I think doesn't work. And I think is what you were identifying earlier, where someone at Marvel is like, you got to put this into your movie. And it feels very shoved in, which is this whole opening act with Thor and the Guardians, Mm -hmm. which is following up on the end of Endgame, where they send him off. And he says, as Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's a very cute joke. 
I think they should have just cut their losses and not shown us this. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that Marvel does this thing where they're like, write yourself into a corner and then figure out how to get out of it. But I think some of their more recent movies have proven that that's not a great philosophy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to not set these things up because I really just felt like this all felt so tangential. It wasn't satisfying from the Guardian's perspective. It wasn't really setting up interesting themes this movie was going to explore it wasn't that interesting to me from the thor point of view and i think that that slows down the movie and then the movie has to take so long to sort of ramp back up to what it's actually interested in it's very easy by the end of the movie to forget that the guardians were in it because Mm -hmm. they essentially just like do their like uh, step and repeat they just sort of come out and like here we are the guardians you know and yeah. love we've got drax nebula groot the whole gang uh goodbye how much do you think vin diesel was paid to what say i am groot probably one time two times two times he says it in the movie what do you um, think he got multi-million dollar paycheck i just don't think you can get vin diesel for less than a million dollars absurd absolutely yes. absurd absurd uh yeah and i think the comedy of this the weird whatever the little the little people they're trying to help are and then their palace is falling down like this all felt very just messy and and not good to me i like the kind of like furry crazy like bird people they fight um do i now i can't decide (laughs) if i like this or not i like some of the comedy in there worked for me and i like like but it did feel like uh this take on is it at the beginning of Thor the Dark World where he's like fighting a big rock guy? He's yeah. like, this is fun. But then it's like, he's good at fighting, but he still hasn't learned like how to like balance his mm-hmm. sh- shit. It did feel like we're just going to kind of do that again. Hey, steal from the best. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah. Thor the Dark World. Yeah. I don't know. And then they try to make it that Peter Quill is sort of telling him advice on find your people. But it just felt so company mandated none of this felt organic mm-hmm. to what this movie was trying to be to me yeah yeah i'm looking at the uh i'm looking at the wikipedia summary which starts with a paragraph describing gore's intro then it says after gore kills several gods thor learns of a distress signal from sif thor parts ways with the guardians of the galaxy and finds an injured sif who warns that it's like that's all they actually yeah. do in the movie <laughs> but it does take some time Quite although a while i think Although also I heard that this is one of Marvel's shortest movies, which is it's insane. Under two it's... hours or just about two hours. Uh, most of the Thor movies are pretty short, actually. I think Ragnarok's huh. the longest one. I think this movie actually could have been longer. I would not have been mad about that or just cut this Guardian stuff and use that time for something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I wonder, too, was that original? Was Guardians 3 supposed to come out before? I wonder if they had thought that that was going to be where this would get resolved, but then that got pushed back. Oh, interesting. This is the James Gunn stuff. I don't know. That could be not true. Anyway, the stuff, when I did get back on to this movie, and again, like, I felt very grateful that all of this came so early, but we jump right into just meeting Jane, where she's getting her chemo treatments, mm-hmm. which I had not, I had watched, like, no trailers or marketing for this movie, and I also was not familiar that this is the setup for the comic book arc where Jane becomes Thor. Yeah, is that same. she has, I think in the comics, it's breast cancer in the movie. It's not really specified. But I was not expecting this at all. And again, I was really surprised and kind of appreciative that it took a, like a darker, more serious concept to bring Jane back. I love Jane Foster. <laughs> She's one mm-hmm. of my favorite 
sort of, again, a character that everyone seems to hate. I really like her. I think she's a really fun Marvel, like, girlfriend character, more so than a lot of the people that get shoved into that archetype. I really <laughs> like that she is this hyper-competent uh, physicist, astrophysicist, who then becomes, like, a bumbling idiot around Thor, which I think mm-hmm. kind of sounds like a sexist joke when you're just saying it, but it does not play like one. It plays very funny. It's like she is playing this, like, almost like a himbo archetype in those first two yes. movies only sometimes but yes I, I think it's very funny yeah no i totally think like she's doing what i think would usually be like in an 80s sex comedy like the the jokes that are like reserved for a guy who's like the 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 babe yeah 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 she gets to do those things there's a part where she lets him into his her little trailer in new mexico and she's it's like really dirty so she's like trying to put think dishes away and she like takes all of her dirty dishes and puts it in the cabinet and then it's like those don't go there and then takes them down. Like, I don't know. People think those first two Thor movies aren't funny, but they, I think they are funny. They're just not as overt about their comedy as the Taika stuff. But I appreciated how serious this was as a way to bring her back. I really appreciated that we got a little Darcy appearance. Although I think Darcy should have been honestly in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Darcy's an MVP. I have. She's great. She's been relegated to like her supporting WandaVision role, which is disappointing. It is disappointing because, again, like on some of the press tour, Natalie Portman's been talking about, you know, how great it is that in this new era of superheroes, you can have all these diverse female characters who have different powers and different abilities and how great that is. And I'm like, that's actually what I really like about the first two Thor movies. I think those Thor movies have more women in them than Marvel would get to, like, for, like, until Black Panther, like basically. Another movies. Yeah, yeah, because you have, the the fact that you have a Jane and Darcy friendship in those first two movies, like, that in and of itself is rare. Usually it's like Pepper Potts is the one girl, or whatever, Rachel McAdams is the one girl. Sure. But you've got a little female friendship. You've also got Sif as Thor's, one of Thor's pals. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you've got Frigga, his mom, around too. And I always really appreciated that about Thor. And to an extent, I think those earlier movies, like, it's not like there's a ton of Valkyrie Jane scenes in this movie, you know? Like, I don't know. I felt a little bit like you're, she was kind of throwing the past under the bus with perhaps not interrogating mm-hmm. the flaws of this current moment as well. Yeah, and I don't know. Valkyrie's kind of just along for the ride in mm-hmm. this one. Like, she's not really, she's not really like, given that much of substance no. to do. I mean, not everyone can be. But I'm like, bump Korg. <laughs> <laughs> or also... I'm on an anti-Korg crusade. If not everyone can be, then don't go on the press tour and talk about how it's amazing that you have all these strong women who are interacting with each other and getting to be heroes. You know what I mean? You can't do yeah. both. But you know what, Caroline? We're asking press tours to not be press tours. <laughs> True. Right? They're I just think- going to go on and say that their movie is special. That's the job. I think my pitch for this movie would have been on the boat. I think Sif should have come with them. I think the way this movie's like, eh, Sif is there, but of course she got an injury, so she can't come along. Lame. Mm-hmm. And I think Darcy should have been along. I think a, a boat that is like Thor, Korg's head, and then Jane, Valkyrie, Sif, and Darcy, like that is the movie I want to see. It does sound more fun. Yeah. What's really fun about that is like, you then get like, Enough competent on women on there, like, like helping Thor, like, run his shit that, like, you then, like, you then have to, like, notice it and comment instead of, like, yeah. we bought two instead of one. It's, like, then you have this vision of, like, yeah, Thor's got this, like, network of strong women. Yeah, like I think that would have been system. way more interesting and purposeful. 
What did you think about how Jane is introduced and then how she goes on to become the Mighty Thor? My mind might have wandered. I get I was a I, I admit I was a little confused about why she became the Mighty Thor. The setup is that Mjolnir, or Mew Mew, as I always call it in my yeah. head, because that's what Darcy calls it. Um, she, she goes to it to heal because yeah. she reads that it can. Mew Mew kind of like calls health. out to her. Like it, it kind of like rustles a book and it flips mm. to pages that are about Thor's oh. hammer. And then she gets called. She kind of goes to New Asgard to see what's going on, which I love the detail that New Asgard has just been turned into this tourist, tourist. destination. Yeah. That yeah. felt actually quite savvy and satirical from a new zealand filmmaker who probably knows what it's like to have your culture a little bit <laughs> turned into a tourist destination yes yes that tracks. um i appreciated that so jane goes there and then and then milnor sort of reforms for her and we learn that little breakup montage and what i think is honestly like a top five sweetest thor moment he kind of like just whispers to the hammer like oh i really like her so like please hammer like always protect her <laughs> Oh, do you remember that? And then it does the thing. It's the it's a mirror of what Odin does in the first movie, where he banishes Thor to Earth without his powers, but he whispers, you know, to the hammer, like whoever is worthy of this will have the powers of Thor, and the mm-hmm. hammer kind of lights up. It's a it's a mirror of that, and he says, like, please always protect Jane, and the um the hammer does the little okay. brief light up thing. I see. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I like her using it. I, the moment where she, like, they're in the first fight that she's in, and the hammer, like, breaks into, like, a bunch of little pieces and, like, hits all these monsters, and then it comes back together, cool. like, ding, 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 ding. I said, oh, shit, at that yeah. moment. That was cool. That was incredibly cool, and what a creative thought for how to use that weapon in a whole new yes. way. I like that he's continuing to make, like, the hammer, or the hammers, including Stormbreaker, interesting, in a way where... You know, the, the the Iron Man movies, I think, also tried to do, they're like, oh, new stuff with the suits. It's not just the same guy in the same suit. There's, like, new suit tricks. And I like that they're doing that with the hammer and that at the end of it, like, he's got Mjolnir back again. And then his adoptive daughter has Stormbreaker now. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on the whole, like, talking to Stormbreaker runner? I, I think that is the most successful comedic runner in the whole movie. Do you? The goats I could have taken or, or left. I love the goats. The whole runner about Jane trying to come up with the catchphrase, I could take or leave. Yeah, a little lazy. But I quite liked the personification of the two weapons and Thor <laughs> trying to navigate <laughs> that yeah. dynamic. I found it very, anytime Stormbreaker would kind of just fly on. It's this. It's the same feeling as like the magic carpet in Aladdin or the cape <laughs> in Doctor Strange where you're just mm. personifying this inanimate object that I find very funny. Did it not work for you? Uh, I don't know. Your association of it with the magic carpet is is warming it up in my eyes. I couldn't uh I couldn't decide if I liked the energy of it of his like I don't know, doing this like oh, she's just you know, this other hammer doesn't mean anything to me. It's all mm-hmm. about you, you know. <laughs> but I do I don't know if I thought if I found like that that exact energy entirely funny, but I do think the idea of having Chris Hemsworth play scenes with an object mm-hmm. is funny. Sometimes they take it too far. Like now, I'm really thinking about the Zoe Maltby tweet about the the first take of everything. The yeah. scene where he like pours the beer on it, yes, felt very much like an improv that didn't quite work. But they hadn't done another <laughs> one, so they'll just stick with that one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just think it was too much of like I know as a director 
what it can be like when somebody comes up with a fresh idea on set. You're like, oh my God, hysterical. But then later on in the edit, like, sometimes I'm good at doing this, sometimes I'm not. But there's a challenging moment where we have to say, like, as much as that was, like, a wild thing and, like, Mm -hmm. no one expected Chris to pour that beer and, like, man, we, like, lost it on set when he had that idea. Like, does this actually fit with the movie? I think there were too many moments where I asked that question and said, Mm -hmm. like, does this actually, like, obey the rules of the world or is this just like waving those away for a moment to have a joke i think i like how the thor sort of weird love triangle with the two weapons is Mm -hmm. is a smart way to add some tension to the fact that jane is now a thor without making it that thor is jealous of jane having powers Mm -hmm. which i think could have been a downfall that i'm glad the movie avoided that it's not like he's like i'm the only thor like you can't be it or you can't be it because it's you're a girl there's none of that but I think the jealousy of the weapons is good. I think you're, you are very savvy on that. And in 2005, like the 2005 mm-hmm. version of this movie would have been like, a lady Thor, impossible. <laughs> and just I'm like thinking of all those scenes in the like Chris Evans Fantastic Four where it's like Jessica Alba's naked on a bridge because she yeah. just unturned invisible. Yes, yes, exactly. So there just would have been so much of that. And it would have been, they would have had Zeus, like, flick away Jane's clothes, and she would have yeah. been naked, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so you're right about that. And I think the thing about Taika is, like, his politics are good, you know? I tend to agree with him on things. And, like, the sort of, like, I don't know, like, what dynamics he wants to bring in. I just think he can be self-indulgent as, mm-hmm. a, as a comedy filmmaker. I think that's a good way to put it. The, like, doing the play, like, bringing back the play actor's gag that i thought mm-hmm. worked pretty well in ragnar in, in ragnarok to now have them act out his own movie ragnarok <laughs> i was like don't don't bring these back again that didn't work for me until we get the second scene of matt damon and luke hemsworth as just as guardians who were asking to put on another play because I then it know. became part then i was like oh it wasn't just that you brought back the cameos you've now made these into full on characters where their whole career is just going and reenacting thor and loki things i kind of see that i it it it, it I, I wasn't in the mood for it at the time i wrote down get damon out of here <laughs> why is there, he back <laughs> there is quite a lot of recapping of past thor movies yeah. happening in this movie yeah i think i only needed the one at the beginning which mm-hmm. i did enjoy and i, I you know like I think for me, like, the white ribbing of, like, and then Hela came and she killed this guy and that guy, you know, like, like even though, even though I'm like, oh, I know who the Warriors 3 are, but I'm like, yeah, that's, I can handle that, that Mm -hmm. level of, like, sort of, like, ribbing the previous movies. But uh, I think I just felt with the play that it was one of those moments of, like, you've gotten too in love with a joke that you've come up with, and now we're spending our time watching that. Yeah, the self-indulgent, I think, is a good way to put it, even if we are sort of disagreeing about which elements are self-indulgent. I mm-hmm. think that that is the feeling that that runs through the movie. So, I mean, we don't need to go through the whole plot. Most, A lot of this is just sort of like an episodic, Gore kidnapped some kids, we gotta chase down to get the kids back. Mm-hmm. I would say my my overall my whatever hot take on on a good chunk of this movie is that i think natalie portman is not good as a thor (laughs) i think she's very good as jane foster in this movie i really love all of her jane foster scenes i think when she is i think she does not know how to play the comedy of being a thor and a lot of those scenes were when it felt 
like this. We're doing a first take or we're not, we're yeah. not fully, we're not fully sure what we're doing, but we're just rolling with it and trying to find it in the moment. And oops, we finished filming and we never really found it. Now we have to edit it. Yeah. I do feel that there was like getting her into the costume and putting the hammer in her hands. Like it all feels like it's going to be cooler and more rewarding than it ends up being in the movie. And I hadn't quite been able to like put my finger on why I think that is, but I do think you are right that there's something about the comedy there or just the energy of it that's like, I don't know, kind of like neither here nor there. Yeah. I think that Natalie Portman is like, she's tiny, right? Like she's a tiny person. And I think a lot of the comedy she's done over the years often like emphasizes her tininess or her physical, like her physicality of her size, I think is actually a lot of how she acts. But <laughs> then when she's playing Thor, she is very purposefully trying to be like, I'm acting bigger. They put her, you know, she gained a lot of muscle. They put her on platforms so that she's like six feet tall. I think she's trying to lower her voice. I think that they do some weird glossy airbrushing thing to her face to try to face up the weird. contrast between like sick Jane and, Thor Jane. Yeah, she looks like a like a like a CGI Princess Leia. Yeah. She just felt like she got lost amongst like overthinking the physicality of being a big person and not being able to sort of because again, I think Natalie Portman is very funny as Jane Foster in those first two movies. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not that she can't do comedy. I think it's the comedy of being a Thor and maybe the Taika style of comedy is not not a good fit for her. Yeah, I do think I do think you are onto something with that. I do enjoy, I mean, overall, the project of, like, putting her back in here with Hemsworth and, like, like just, like, leaning into that relationship is a good one. Like, I'm rooting for them when they, you know, have their little, like, meet-cute moments. And uh, and I'm, as you said, like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning in with this whole, like, Jane has cancer and she's, like, hiding it thing. And when he's like, you have to stay here... She's like, okay. He's like, I want you to stay here so that you can stay safe and we can try to do this. Like, I like that. Yeah, I think there's just like, she's not super magnetic in Thor mode. Mm-hmm. Which much. is why I'm glad the movie kept cutting back to like real Jane. I think that if this whole movie had just been fun Thor Jane, it wouldn't have worked. But the fact that there, there was always this poignancy underneath and the movie could kind of zoom back to that whenever it wanted to i think Mm -hmm. what allowed me to sort of go along with a huge element of it not working yeah even the scene on the boat where he kind of like tries to be like do you want to you know try dating again and she's just like i have cancer and then she's like why did i say that like that whole and he i really like the way hemsworth plays that too he like gets very that's never a joke Mm -hmm. you know the joke is not like Oh, now I'm so awkward. I don't know how to respond that you said that you had cancer, which I think would be an easy joke to make. He actually responds very kindly and empathetically and like, you know, what can I do to help or that must be so hard. Like, it's a very like gentle and kind and good response. And I think that's a really like that was the kind of stuff that the movie was nailing on an emotional level that like allowed me to forgive the comedy not working as well. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes me think that also like, I think this movie does right by the character of Thor. Mm-hmm. And that's that's nice because that's just not a guarantee like at this stage in a franchise, like particularly when it feels like the whole creative project of the franchise has changed. But I do think like I just like what they have him do and the fact that they show him like the ways he's grown and the ways he mm-hmm. hasn't grown and I think it's it's cool where they where they have him and how he relates to people 
mm-hmm. in this. Like, you know, all the bunch of kids, as you mentioned, that's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think actually maybe Ragnarok didn't do. It's been a while since I've watched it, but I feel like Ragnarok goes to making Thor the butt of the joke more or a source of comedy in a, almost a different way than this movie does. Mm-hmm. This movie is maybe a little bit more <laughs> respectful of Thor. Yeah, I guess Ragnarok has a little bit of that, like, uh, he's just, he's basically like a vainglorious idiot still. Yeah. Which it's frustrating when every movie has to kind of, like, move someone. That can be a franchise thing where it's like, you know, like, every Iron Man movie is like, but can he stop being selfish and care about right. other people? And, like, trust people. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I think hopefully because he did it in the last movie and now we're yeah. back to square one again. Um, speaking of the kids that Thor has to save, what'd you think <laughs> of Lil Heimdall's son? Axel. Um cute? Yeah. Fine. I think I like the like all the kids get the power of Thor mm-hmm. bit. I'm interested in the like uh I've chosen a known name for myself, which feels like just kind of feels like Taika being like respect people's names and pronouns thing. Although like it I don't know what it was like specifically doing for this movie. And also Thor is not super respectful at first. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. We, we, we have to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Heimdall never made a huge impression on me in the movie. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the like continuity oh, of like it was Heimdall. like. I thought it was very charming when they, mm-hmm. they kind of take a minute to yeah. reveal that he's Heimdall's son. And I was very charmed when they did. And I, I did like some of his like using his powers mm-hmm. of being like, I don't really quite know how to use them yet, but he can kind of whatever zoom yeah. in to yeah <laughs> chat with them all i like him as like a little burgeoning leader among yeah. all the the kidnapped kids i enjoy the kid stuff kid stuff can be really annoying in in uh blockbuster movies so yeah i thought that was i thought that was good and there's good. quite a lot of it in this movie this is yeah, very much totally. a parenting movie which like say. so the the fact that it kind of ends being like thor adopts the daughter of gore mm-hmm. who is played by do you know who she's played by? No, who's that? Chris Hemsworth's real daughter. Cute. Isn't that cute? That is cute. Will she be in the future movies? I don't know. I don't know. Or will they just just like Thor's eye and just like Asgard is the galaxy? <laughs> will she make it two scenes and then it's like, you have to go to Asgardian daycare for the rest of forever. Goodbye. Yes. There is a 50% chance it's that. And I think there's a 10% chance that actress stays around and a 40% chance they age up all of these new kids that they're introducing to be like a young Avengers, but with famous young people instead mm-hmm. of random young people. Yes. Yes. But how did that whole like element, which ends up, I don't know, feeling like the the, the end of the movie says like this was the point all along, mm-hmm. although like it's a little dubious, like if it was the point, but how did that whole like Thor becomes a dad thing work for you? I think it's. Yeah, I think it actually is a nice mix of feeling surprising, but then when you think back, also feeling a little bit inevitable. Mm -hmm. Because there is this question of like, what will Thor find his purpose in? And I think there are little dropped lines about, oh, Thor would be a great dad, or oh, what if Thor and Jane had a kid? And Valkyrie's like, I don't think that's going to happen, because Jane Mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of time. Um, So I like that element of it. And I like the sort of circular structure of solving the gore. Like if I really think the way that gore and Jane are parallels for each other. And Mm -hmm. then Jane's the one that suggests like when she and gore are both dying and she's the one that suggests that like Thor adopts the daughter, which is like 
both an empathetic gesture for gore, but also a way to like ensure Thor is okay. I thought mm-hmm. all of that was actually quite clever structurally. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like those touches. It, it, uh, I think now I'm liking it more. Like you're pointing out these sort of allusions to it. It was a little like at the very end, they're like, it's love and thunder. And mm-hmm. I was like, that kind of has the air of like the whole time it was just about the formation mm-hmm. of this duo. And I'm like, but she was off screen for the middle 98% of the film. But, yeah. but you know, what you're talking about now, it's not that she has to be on screen. What you're talking about now, I'm like, no, you know, I think they did. They did thread that well. Maybe I, I mean, was it just... certainly was not like what I was expecting. Like it certainly mm-hmm. was a surprise. Yeah. But I think actually like a lot of elements of this movie was a surprise that then in retrospect, I appreciated more. Mm-hmm. That was how I felt actually about, I was really unsure if they were actually going to kill Jane off. And then mm-hmm. once they did, I was unsure how I felt about that. Yeah. Because part of me was like, oh, it does feel like a weird trend in pop culture in general. And then maybe in Marvel phase four in particular of like killing off women characters. But I think I actually appreciated that the movie said like Jane having cancer, it like people having people having cancer in the real world is not something that an Asgardian guard god can come in and fix. Yeah, and I kind of appreciated that the movie respected that as a real experience people have that does not always have a happy ending. And yeah. sort of like I think some of the most touching parts, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, is that hospital scene where they're kind of having to make the decision of like Jane if you transform one more time like that'll be it basically yeah. like this will have sapped all of your life. Love that scene. I love that scene and they have this discussion where she's like, "Well, I don't want to ex- I don't want to have an ex- extend my life to sort of just be sick in this hospital bed. Like I would rather choose to do something that I would really like to do with the time I have left." Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I really like when things I really think people should have like I don't know, dignity and death and choose how they would like the end of their life to go in as much as they can when they're, you know, ill in that way. And I like how thoughtfully and seriously the movie took that. Yeah, I agree. I prefer that ending to a like a miraculous recovery. And I agree that in that scene, they do what a screenwriter is always trying to do when they set up like a sort of a, like a central philosophical debate prior to the climax, which is like Mm -hmm. make the two sides both very compelling Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and ground in emotional stakes. You know, the more we talk about this movie, the more I'm like the bulk of it, the fundamental like heart of it, like really does work. I just was in such a mood to be irritated by so many of the jokes. Yeah. And so many, I just think he needed like another pass to like trim some of those out. Right. And I think one of the reasons we respond to that hospital scene so much is because clearly that's not an improvised scene, right? Like clearly that is a very thought out written scene, which still has beautiful moments that feel very organic, where he says like, I don't know, something like you, you 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 need more time. And she's like spoken like a Thor that doesn't have cancer. Yeah. And and she's like, what's the point of, you know, this time doing this? And he just says, because I love you. And it's so sweet and earnest. And his delivery is so lovely. Yeah. And and the little thing where she's like, break a leg and he goes, I'll break both of his legs. You know, like that (laughs) feels very organic and spontaneous, but it's clearly not one of those lame improvisations we keep highlighting. Yeah. And to be clear, like there are Taika movies that I love, like. Hunt for the Wilder People, I think, is so, so, so good. That's filled with improvisation, but 
I don't know. It just like it all holds up to sort of like a metric of like serving what that movie is doing. Mm-hmm. What we do in the shadows, I'm a fan of. It just feels like here that trick is like has kind of forced its way into the party. And I'm like, just do the other parts of the movie. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The balance is not fully there for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think the parts of it that work work so well and are so interesting to me in particular that I'm sort of like more forgiving of. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm the person that thinks Dark World is the seventh best MCU movie. Of course, I'm forgiving of yeah. <laughs> things that are flawed, but ultimately have their strong moments. Sure. I think the one big thing we have not talked about yet, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, are is R- Russell, Russell Crowe Crow is Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give it to him, but I thought he was funny. Me too. I thought he was really funny. (laughs) Yes. I think it might be the best one of these little weird comedic side performances since Ben Kingsley and Iron Man 3. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Kingsley and Iron Man 3 is really good. And yeah, I think think that's better. It ties in really well. But it's, I I can't deny it. Even though I'm not, I'm not Russell Crowe's biggest fan as a, as a performer or a person, but Oh, God, he's really funny in this movie. I can't deny it. He's Russell funny. Crowe, the, the former Meg Ryan. Uh, I feel like the only other time we've discussed Russell Crowe is when we were discussing like Meg Ryan's uh, tortured public love affairs. Yeah, which I guess that's really a story of, of, of him getting a free pass by the media. rather. But, but you know, clearly he's had She his... had nice things to say. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. About him. I think his take on Zeus is so freaking funny. <laughs> Everything about the accent is so funny. His, like, physicality. insane. His physicality. His when he does the like, little holding the skirt, skirt to yes. go down the stairs. Oh, my God. I wish it wasn't so funny, but it is. And his, like... It's so his, funny. His just little, like, sharp, like, gestures. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. It's and a- what is he... There's something where he's like, a baby cake. So he's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's absolute insanity. To me, this was, like, the best kind of insanity. Mm-hmm. Of Taika yeah. insanity. Yes. Yeah, it really, and it, it, you know, it's a consistent form of, uh, it's consistent with, I think, one of Taika's, like, career themes, which is, like, the most powerful people are, like, the the stupidest. Well, here's the question I had. Yes. Is this whole movie not an argument that Gore was right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes Gore interesting, is that he's, yeah, you're like, wow, the gods seem to, like, generally kind of suck. I mean, to the point where Thor kills Zeus. He's mm-hmm. like, in order to stop Gore from killing the gods, he kills a god. Yeah, I know. That <laughs> was a he's crazy so annoyed moment. by the god. That was a crazy moment where I was like, well, that was just the same thing. Yeah. Although they do, they do a similar the thing. Yeah. They do a similar thing as in Black Panther, where they're like, ooh, Killmonger is a little too close to just being correct. So we'll randomly have him shoot his girlfriend to prove that he's bad. I think with Gore, they're like, he is undoubtedly correct. Have him kidnap some kids so it seems like he's worse than he is. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't even really want to hurt the kids. He was just trying to lure the Thor gang. Yeah, but you know, he to scared them. He scared them with by like killing a monster. <laughs> with Octi. Yeah, with Octi. That like that he didn't have to do that. I do quite like the black and white fight mm-hmm. cool sequence, idea. action sequence. Yeah, really cool. Very cool idea. And the way they use the the sort of light of the weapons to Mm-hmm sort of bring color back into the world definite visual interest enjoyed the big creepy monsters in that scene mm-hmm. that is a cool idea to be like what about high contrast black and white instagram filter planet <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I quite like, I don't know if all the fight scenes hugely stood out to me, but that one I quite enjoyed. Yeah, that was definitely the one where you're like, here comes the final fight. Oh, nope. Yes. Doing doing more. That was where I got a little bit lost in the pacing, but I don't know. It's definitely not a perfect movie by any means, but I think for me, who is very invested in the original Thor mythos, the original movie Thor mythos, it was very satisfying to watch all of that be taken Mm-hmm. so seriously again i'm pleased to hear that i i had the expectation that you coming into this podcast were going to be like that like reaction gif on twitter of the godfather saying like look what they've done to my boy oh interesting that i wouldn't like the jane foster i just think i just thought like that the whole like we're gonna make fun of the thor stuff mm. would bother you but uh see i think thor has been this is what people misremember i think thor has been making fun of thor since the first thor mm-hmm. <laughs> a huge chunk of the first thor is a fish out of water comedy about how dumb Thor is and yes. how ridiculous all of the Asgardian stuff is. Yes. So to me, that kind of feels like a cornerstone of Thor. But I think then respecting the character and giving him those scenes where he's such a sweet caretaker, like emotional mm-hmm. caretaker for Jane and so respectful of her, that's the kind of stuff that I find really satisfying. Mm-hmm. And you didn't think the goats were funny though? No. Oh, I love the goats. Not at all. <laughs> I think the good this I was gonna say the goats have been divisive. I also think this movie has been very divisive. Yeah, I I don't really have a sense of critical consensus. I haven't looked it up, but Twitter has certainly been, which is how I, uh, for better or for worse, get a lot of my uh, movie stuff. Um, Yeah, it's got a a relatively low Rotten Tomatoes score. I think there is, I think a lot of people are growing frustrated by just where Marvel is now and how aimless it feels. Mm -hmm. I also think there is simultaneously a frustration with this sort of feeling like Taika Waititi kind of does the same thing a lot or is, has been overhyped. There's a little bit of a backlash there. So I think a lot of things are kind of inter and the fact that Ragnarok was so huge for so many people. Like I think you and I, in a way had a unique experience watching this movie where we didn't come in with to it as it. the sequel to our favorite Marvel movie ever. We just kind of came into it as another Thor movie. Yeah, that's true. I will say maybe my favorite thing about all of this, though, is that like pretty much everyone universally agrees that Christian Bale is great in it. And I am like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm his, I don't know, like publicist or something mm-hmm. because I've had, I've just had such a long investment in him. Anytime it's like he like, Christopher Bohr said this mean thing. You're like, no, 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 yeah, no, no. You don't understand. We need you to don't clarify. Understand. We need to contextualize. The, the, I mean, I've heard a lot of people put him as as one of the top, if not the top, sort of perform villain performances in the MCU, if not characters, but just like what he is he is mm-hmm. doing in the role. Which I don't know if that's my take, but I appreciate it. I think he's up there. I think he's gonna go. He's gonna be along with the. Uh, Jeff Bridges in the first Iron Man is like mm. really stellar one movie villain. Now you have to do the line. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. <sighs> that line. Oh, yep. That was it. That was the one. Yeah. I think it is. Again, it's like so scary. Like, mm-hmm. I think we have not had a villain who is pure nightmare fuel, pure like animalistic. Yeah. In this way. Yeah. Yeah. He's very unsettling and he's very captivating every time he's on screen he's he's it's like he he justifies the hiring of christian bale Mm -hmm. and i think it's like you could have had christopher eccleston who i i generally respect as an actor but like his villain performance i don't know it's like 
when you look at the fundamental DNA of like Malekith versus Gore the God Bitcher, like there's a lot of sim- there's a lot of overlap yeah. between like what they're starting with there, but um, you just end up with a completely like forgettable performance yeah. in Malekith. Maybe you feel differently that Thor. No, 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 I don't. I think that doesn't work in Dark World. But I think the problem there is this absolutely bananas decision to have him speak in like Dark Elvish the entire movie. Like yeah. that was not helping anyone. Just no. let the man. Like, if Christian Bale had to do this entire performance in a made-up fictional language, yeah. I don't know if it would have been as good yeah. of a performance. With more prosthetics on, you know? Yeah. Christopher Eccleston was set up to fail where he's basically, like, not in there at all. <laughs> right. It's like, it you never would have known. Yeah. And I like, that, I like that Christian Bale gets to use his kind of real accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the accent that I, conspiracy theory, think he just adopted from the prestige <laughs> because he lost his own accent. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's fun to watch. I love that he carries around a, a great big sword and uh, mm-hmm. kind of like lets his mouth hang open and like looks at stuff. I I I would have been down for like more of like a trail of carnage of Gore the God Butcher, but mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have served this movie ultimately. Well, there is quite a lot of this movie that they filmed and then cut. Oh, yeah? There, Jeff Goldblum was supposed to be in it. Peter what? Dinklage was supposed to come back. Oh. Lee Mahidi from Game of Thrones like filmed whole sequences that were cut. As whom? Well, the other, uh, yeah, I don't know. I presumably like another god. I think a lot of people are speculating maybe there were more sequences of god killing, and that's mm. like, you know, that would make sense. Those characters were involved in that. I don't mm. know. I think there was quite a mandate to sort of bring this movie in under two hours, and that I wonder if that was the wrong move, and if actually more room to breathe would have made the movie more successful. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll take a look at the uh, director's cut. Although, wait, no, I heard he said that he doesn't like director's yeah. cuts. He did say that. I think probably in response to people saying, why were so many people cast in this movie and then we did not see them? Wow. Well, I guess we'll just have to get the DVD, except you can't really like, I don't have a DVD player, so I don't know when we'll see that content. Maybe in one of those. They usually put out those little behind the scenes documentaries on Disney Plus, I think. Yeah. When the movies come on there. Yeah, I guess I'll watch it on there. I find them a little boring, a little too self-congratulatory, but Mm -hmm. for this one, like, I want to see that content, so... My other little fun fact is that the the sort of sequence at the end where all the kids get turned into Thors, mm-hmm. amongst all of the kids in there are Taika Waititi's kids, Natalie Portman's kids, and Christian Bale's kids, Banana yeah. and Burrito. Banana and Burrito. Which I think is very charming, that it just feels like they all went to Australia in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> they brought their families, they filmed a movie. That's cute. That's cute. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I thought so too. Uh, Christian Bale has another movie coming out at the end of this year called New Amsterdam, the David O. Russell movie with every celebrity under the sun that I think put out a very fun looking trailer. Yeah, I'm curious. This is our boy's era. You know what I mean? This is the year of Bale. And I love to see it. You you think every other year is the year of Bale. (laughs) I mean, every year is the year of Bale in my mind, but the public has finally caught up to me and agreed. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so we'll yeah, I'm excited. We'll see if we want to do a an Amsterdam. Yeah, we'll see how that is. You might be hearing bonus. from us bailheads again sometime <laughs> in the future. What a joy! Truly, again, I can't overemphasize the how surreal it is to have your random teen girl obsession go on to become a major part of culture and a major part of my job. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, how often does that happen? Yeah, what a joy! Yeah. What a thrill! Yeah. It's the little uh, any last oh post post credit scenes? Any thoughts on those? It's a Are Ted Lasso guy as Hercules. Yeah, yeah. okay. Brett Goldstein. I haven't watched it yet. I hear it's quite nice. 
I quite enjoy it. I think he's great. Um, I always wonder with these post-credit scenes, where are these characters going to show up? Because it sure feels like they've had a lot of them. It's getting overly crowded. Yeah, this made me think of, uh, what's his name? Harry Styles and, yeah. and Pip the Troll. And I'm like, when? 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 Exactly. They're just going to have to form like a like a Legion of Doom. Yeah, where maybe. Where it's like, we're all, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and what was the, oh, Jane went to, Jane went to Valhalla. Valhalla. Valhalla's real. Idris Elba. Jane went there. Yeah. Definitely question mark of does that mean those two actors will come back at some point? I don't know. I would say. Like as visions in the force, maybe. Or whatever. Or they'll Pull break into Valhalla. To life or, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Don't you feel like they left the door a little bit open? Totally. Totally. We'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad about a Heimdall leading the Young Avengers or something. Axel leads the Young Avengers and Heimdall is his force ghost Yoda or whatever. Yeah. It feels like they I mean they've kind of got like uh Benedict Wong moved into that. Like mm. at the end of Shang-Chi, they're like he kind of court I who knows. Mm-hmm. The cast knows? is getting like Did they know? I'm sure does Kevin Feige sitting around going like, "Oh, I forgot about I forgot about Captain Marvel. <laughs> At this point, I this point. pretty much feel like yes, that is what. <laughs> oh shit! Oh shit! Did we forget to do Harry Styles? We teased him. We, we forgot to put him in something. <laughs> oh, we forgot to do Kit Harrington picking up a sword. <laughs> oh my god, Black Knight! Yeah, come on, that do- that that doesn't exist, right? We're not going to do like, that. With like Mahershala Ali saying one word off screen. I mean, think about how long ago they announced. Oh my god, Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. That was like 27 years ago. <laughs> this is one of those, this is like an exponential growth model where it's like if every if every movie introduces like two new teasers for another movie, like how's this going to work? Yeah, I have many a question. Disney Plus. Oh, we'll see. Maybe. Disney Plus, they're all going. They're all going straight to Disney Plus. Hercules versus Pippa <laughs> Troll. <laughs> Coming to a the Hercules versus a, a poorly paced six episode Disney Plus series coming to you. Coming soon. to episode three of the Guardians of the Galaxy like Christmas yeah. special. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Um okay, well this was a fun little diversion. Yeah, we sure will be was. back next week with our regularly scheduled content, wrapping up our Antonio Banderas series with Pain and Glory, which actually we have already recorded with a fabulous guest, so I can I can tell you there's some good stuff coming for you, and we will then announce who our next uh, our next actor will be. Stay tuned, uh, whoever you are that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wansersky. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. We're at Roll Calling at both. Or you can email us. Thank you to the people that have emailed us in the past. If you want to email us as well you could do that rollcalling at gmail.com that's roll spelled r-o-l-e we'll be back in two weeks with pain and glory until then 